Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. My name is Gregory Ajid, and we'd like to welcome the great Darian Douglas. Yo, Greg, what's up, man? Welcome back. Welcome back. I feel like we've been uh, online all day, every day for the last 22 months, and, and I'm, I'm a little sleepy, but I'm happy Just- to be here. Just for the record, I'm pretty sure we have been online every day for the last 22 <laughs> months. So you're not going crazy. That's uh, it's, it happened. Yeah, bro. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here, though. So let's let's get right to it tonight. We got a few little announcements, and then we're gonna get right to the music. So first and foremost, sign up for our newsletter. Go check it out at secondlinearts.org. Every week, either Gregory or myself will give you a quadrillion, bajillion, drillion. I don't even know the numbers no more, but we're going to give you some, some, uh, some, some great ideas and some pointers, uh, you know, on, on life and music. Some, some great ideas. And also, if you want to keep up with the organization and the things that we're doing, that's a great way to, to follow us and the progress we've been making. Absolutely. And, uh, for those of you who've been following us online, we're actually, we just started the second week of our Sanaa Music Workshop. And this whole organization started with this workshop five years ago. So it's, it's a true, truly a blessing to, to be here five years later, be here online. And, and we've been having a, a great time. It's been really cool. We've been what, learning music production, video uh, editing. What else? Arranging, video editing, man, all kinds of things, man. And, and you can check it out every day, live streamed from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. Uh, Central, Central, Central Standard Time on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live. So check us out, y'all. Come support us. And uh, yeah, there you go. That's right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's get right to it for tonight. So we have actually a very, very special guest this evening. And I'm super psyched to, to have this gentleman joining us. Um, we have a lot in common. We actually went to the same high school. We went to the same college. But that's, I think, where our paths uh, diverge. And uh, well, let's put it this way. Um, he said in the email, let me send you, let, uh, this, is, this is a link to my first platinum selling track. So that's, I think, where our careers went in separate directions. <laughs> he was hey, making man. platinum selling CDs, and, and I made a check from Spotify for $3. <laughs> hey, I don't know, Greg. You just got that bass clarinet, bro. I think you're on your way to the road to platinum right now. Bro. Thank you, Joe Biden. <laughs> All right, y'all. Let's, let's, let's welcome John Michael to the work, Working Artist Project. John, you there? Hey, guys. Yo, come on. Everything's good. Oh man, beautiful man. Thank you guys for having me. It's a real honor and a blessing. Thank you. We're we're super psyched that you you're you're here joining us, and we see that you've you've you haven't even been able to leave the studio to to join us. You're you're gonna go right back to working <laughs> immediately. Yeah, later. I I really don't leave this room. Um, this is the blue room in my house. Um, and yeah, I'm basically locked in here forever. Um, it makes my wife really happy to avoid her. So. <laughs> oh man how are you guys y'all are doing okay good john man 
Go ahead, Greg. We're, we're, we're on a similar vibe, man. We're I think we're all in three separate rooms in our houses just working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the French Quarter, Greg. I don't know about y'all. I'm in the French Quarter. Man. I don't know where yeah. y'all at. Dar- Darian's in like a COVID <laughs> French Quarter where no one's there. Um, Alternate yeah. universe. I'm pretty sure they had like a 10,000 person concert exactly where you're sitting <laughs> in the middle of COVID. <laughs> well, John, let's get to the music, man. You... Give us a little bit of your your backstory, because you know all geniuses are not created equal, and so we we kind of want to know how you got to it. Well, I'm definitely not a genius, so let's let's throw that out the window. Um, but yeah, I when I you know like Greg said, I, I grew up in New Orleans. Um, started playing guitar when I was ten. Um, studied with Brian Stoltz of the Funky Meters and the Neville Brothers from when I was like twelve to eighteen. When I was fifteen. Um, Started playing with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, um, which was really cool and fun and an incredible experience and one of the best learning experiences one could have. I mean, those guys are such incredible musicians, such great writers, band leaders, producers. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, it's like a, you know, it was like a crash course. Um, And then, you know, had a bunch of bands that toured with all these kinds of things in 2008. I did this project. via a website called mynameisjohnmichael.com where I wrote, recorded, and released a song a week for an entire year. Um, Then subsequently began sort of writing and producing for other people. Um, Worked with a myriad of different artists and um, yeah, still doing that. And then, yeah, spent two years before, about three, four years ago, I started um, producing animated films, like on the animation side, which was kind of interesting and fun. And then went back to Tulane just recently and just finished my MBA, um, but still producing records and doing all that stuff. And it's, you know, a weird, circuitous ride, but, um, you know, here we are. Man, Say, wait. It, 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 we're so glad that the ride has led you here with us this evening. It, it's, and it's kind of crazy, too, because, um, you know, I, we grew up kind of in, in very similar spaces, but I don't know if we, we, I don't think we met each other until maybe 2009 or so until maybe after college. Yeah. But it was crazy being here in New Orleans because you were always part of my life. Like everyone was talking about you. You were playing at the high school uh, function. You were part of actually a super popular band when I was in high school. <laughs> And we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about it. I told you it's promise. I it's say. like it's like pulling out like an old yearbook. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, it's, it's so cool to check out too because um, I hadn't thought of that in years, and I just I read the name and I was like, oh my god, like that. I mean, I, I remember that name being mentioned like on B ninety seven and some random <laughs> things. Like, yeah, that band Ellipsis. We got to we got to open up for that band Incubus, like on a on like there for some arena shows which was really fun i was like 19 18 19 that was pretty crazy Um, so just just out of curiosity like i mean just from an early age you were already playing such high profile in in really cool gigs and i'm wondering like how how did you make that jump from just you know getting a guitar and, and songwriting to actually being 17 18 years old opening for incubus yeah um that's a really good question. I mean, so I, um, first and foremost, all credit and like praise to Brian Stoltz. Like that dude was like my musical father every Saturday. Um, from when I was like 12 to 18, I'd go to his house for two, three hours and he would just boot camp me like to death. And like, 
I don't know, man. I've, I've always been like super ambitious, you know, for better or for worse. Um, and sometimes a bit foolish, which ambition and foolishness can be really powerful in America. Um, but uh, I think just kind of, you know, just threw myself into certain situations. Like the George Clinton thing came about oddly. I got caught um, doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing when I was 15. And my punishment was to go work at my father's office. And it turned out that one of the people that worked there was George Clinton's sister-in-law. And she was like, oh, they're coming down to Tipitina's. And I was like, hey, can I just go sit in with them at Soundcheck? Like, that'll be fun. And then that after Soundcheck, they were like, yeah, you're playing Red Hot Mom and Cosmic Slop. I was like, I've never heard those songs before. They were like, you'll figure it out. Um, and I was 15. And so then it was just like, oh, okay. You know, just jump in the deep end and just swim, you know? So like, I think for the young the younger generation, I think so much of it is just like, man, just throw yourself out there. Like we live in such a world where so many things are super crafted and like super thought out. I mean, like the, you know, the Instagram, the angle, the Photoshop, the, this, the, that, the, like the poly, you know, I think there's, there's a real power to like getting out there and just kind of like making mistakes and like mistakes are the way you learn. And like one thing begets another thing begets another thing, you know? So I think, just kind of being hungry and kind of just getting out there and just being willing to look like an idiot at first, because you will, like, um, is really important. You know, I hope that it's answers the question. It's crazy. As, I, as I'm listening to this, I'm like channeling these like random parallels that I, you know, Jesuit high school, your, your dad was also an attorney, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's, that sounds like it's very similar to Harry Connick Jr.'s story. Uh, I'm nowhere near as talented as him. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, you know, like, I guess he had the same relationship, like, um, being able to, to hang out with uh, Professor Longhair or actually uh, James Booker. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, so that's cool. how Brian, I mean, like, I was so lucky that, like, Brian really took me under his wing, like, really young. And, like, for the first, it was pretty sick. Like, my rhythm was terrible. I was 12, like, white kid, like, shitty, shitty rhythm. And, like, we didn't play a note for two months. It was just literally, like, just rhythm, like with Russell Batiste breaks, like in the background, he was like, just figure out how to play like Russell, but with just scratching on your guitar. And then like my rhythm got a lot better. And so I realized that was kind of like, oh, okay, this is my like little angle. Like I could beat people this way. Like, and I still, I've, I've never really cared to be like this, like big, I mean, I did it when I was a kid, like the lead guitar thing, but like, you know, songs and like, tasteful being like playing to the song like complimenting a singer like all that kind of stuff I was like oh I get this I understand you know so and shouts to him I mean and that begat like you know when I was a kid I was like 15 16 playing with Jonathan Batiste when he was like 14 and Calvin Turner who was you know Raphael Sadiq's bass player for a long time Calvin's a beast man. like those guys ran me ragged I mean like <laughs> I, you know, I just got my butt kicked every time I was with them. And like, but, you know, I just kept showing back up and being like, hey, you, you know, keep going to Cafe Brazil at the time. RIP Cafe Brazil. But, um, you know, and it, you know, you find your way. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what's up. I love what you said earlier is you just have to throw yourself out there. Yeah. And not really worry about the mistakes and especially like you mentioned, in a world that's so polished, like, you know, everybody's Photoshopped and you can't put anything on, you can't make any mistakes. Like, what's 
the biggest mistake that you made that led to the craziest success? Um, well, I think inherent, oh, big mistake. <laughs> I mean, getting caught smoking pot by my parents and then going <laughs> playing with George Clinton was pretty sick. <laughs> it, dude. It's hard um, to top that, man. How do you top yeah. that? <laughs> I mean, but uh, I think, you know, like the My Name Is Project, like that 52 songs in 52 weeks thing, inherent in it was like, I know that not all of these songs are going to be good, but the design of it was that, okay, theoretically I'll have 12 by the end of it. Right. And like, if I just would shed this and I, you know, it was a time when like mixtapes were like really big. This is like little Wayne's like the biggest rapper on the planet. You know what I mean? Like the drought and like um, all that kind of stuff was like really, so it was like this really volume, like the internet was like really um, prolific at the time. It wasn't so like, you know, curated and like very, like I'm only going to put out two songs kind of thing. Like everyone was just putting out a lot, a lot of music. Um, and so I thought that was a really great way to kind of just like screw up in front of people and just get better. You know, like there was, I remember one song being a song about how I couldn't write a song that week. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, but I had to, you know, I had to deliver it. So it was like, all right, I got to just do it, you know? And I think that's so much of, at least for me, like I'm a perspiration person. Like I'm not an inspiration person. Like, and I think that there's something to that, like mistakes, it's kind of borders with the mistake thing. But I think like, if you just kind of do the work, like, and it's not going to always be great. Like you're going to write five songs and three of them are going to suck. And one of them might be I, and like one of them could be really good. And then know that you just got to write 10 more. Like, you know, it's kind of, I think that's the mistake thing is like, know that there are mistakes. It's really important. Like, you know. Yeah. I love that. I kind of take that approach, you know, for this, this program where we write grants all the time. And so I'm just like, all right, well, I, I'm going to get 38 no's, but, yeah. so, <laughs> but I got, that means I just got to write 39 grants. You know? Exactly, man. Exactly. All it takes is one. Yes. I mean, right. and the funny thing is, is like, you'll have a song like, or you'll have something, right? Like suppose there's a record and you could, you could go to all these different people and they'd be like, this is trash. This is terrible. Like all those things. And I think, you know, resilience is such a big thing. It's like, you have to be super bold and willing to like take a punch, but you also have to be willing to get up. Right. And I think yeah. so much of being an artist is like, just paint through it, just write through it, just do another grant. Like, okay, all I need is one yes, right? Like, yep. um, and I think too, like, man, you know, it's so much of, I, it's, it's work, man. It's work. It's like, I, you know, on the one hand, we get to do things, like we get to make music, which like music saved my life so many times. Like, and to know that like, you, you basically get to work in this paradise like there's no excuse to not wake up every day and just make something right or do something. Like I, I watched this thing, you were talking about mistakes and I watched this Herbie Hancock interview and he, he was talking about playing with miles, like in that great quintet, you know, like Ron and Tony and all them. And he played this clunker of a chord and miles paused, changed what he was playing and made the chord work. And it was so cool to me just because I was like, Oh my gosh, like young Herbie, 
thought in that moment, like, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> Playing with Miles Davis. I'm losing my gig tomorrow. And like, Miles was so loving and caring. Like, yes, he's like a monster, but like, he's also so empathetic and has like the biggest ears ever that he was like, oh, I know exactly what you did and I'm going to make you sound right. <laughs> Which I was just like, oh my gosh. So like, there are no mistakes in a way. You know what I mean? I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. Man, it's, it's, it's great to hear you talk about that. And, you know, again, it's, it's cool to talk about these things like, I guess, 10, 15 years later when you were referencing the, the 50 songs that you were doing. Because I, I remember yeah. being in college and being at Music Industry Forum and, and John Snyder would come downstairs and be like, all right, announcements. And then you would come up and you'd be like, hey, look, I'm John Michael. Check out my website. My name is John Michael. And I'm writing 50 songs. <laughs> and, yeah. and you were always plugging it. And, and, and it was cool because like you were, you were making yourself accountable to a whole program of people in addition to, to all the, the press you were getting at that time. Um, but I think that was the important part, man. I think that was the important part. I think it's like, it's like the Charlie Chaplin thing. It's like Charlie Chaplin used to say like entertainment is you tell people what you're going to do, you do it. And then you tell them what you did. Right? <laughs> and like, I didn't think I could do it, you know, but if I stood up in front of people and said, I'm going to do this, I was like, Oh shit. Now I have to do it. You know? So like, I think that's so important, man. Like, I don't know. That, that probably won't be the first Charlie Chaplin, the last Charlie Chaplin reference in this thing. I love, I love these quotes that are like, it's, it's one of these vibes. You hear the quote and it just sounds so simple, but it makes so much sense. It's so deep, dude. These guys are masters, man. Masters. So, so I guess maybe as soon as we're kind of like at the Loyola time. So you did do the music, music yeah. industry program at, at Loyola. And I was wondering if maybe you could speak a little bit about the program and then maybe also segue into how, how you got involved with uh, producing your first uh, or being um, featured on your first platinum cell and track. Yeah. Um, okay. So basically the Loyola thing was great. Um, it was a really nascent program. It was really early on. Um, and there was basically two tracks. You could kind of be on the performance side or you could be on the, like, the business side of things. And I was always like really scared to study music, like the creative side, like in a sort of university setting. Like I didn't go to NOCA. I didn't do those things. I was always really scared of it, frankly, um, just because it was such a, I found music to be like a real, a, a place of rebellion for me. Like that was always like my center with music. Like it was mine, you know, like it was my journey, my personal journey. So I went to the industry, like the music industry side of things. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, it was like, you know, I, there were a couple professors that were just wonderful and taught me so much. I'm in touch with one of them still. Um, and then, yeah, one of these kids who happened to be um, G-Eazy was one of my classmates, right? And, you know, I, we, were, we were sort of playing. It was in the time when, like, you know, you'd play shows and it'd be like G-Eazy, us, this, like, indie rock band, and then, like, a like a funk band or something. Like it was like these bills that made like no sense, but like college kids would come out, whatever. I'm trying and, to remember the college bands as you're saying. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it was like that kind of energy, but it was cool. Like, cause everybody would kind of just like go and appreciate each other and like give notes and like people with really different perspectives, like bumping up against each other, which I, you know, I always love. I think that's like such a incredibly valuable thing when like, if you're, if you're around a bunch of like-minded people, like you're not growing, like just period, the end, 
Like, and so, you know, with Gerald, I was always fascinated that this dude was like producing his own records, writing his own records. He had this really, really, you know, as things moved, like he went from like his original kind of neon-y thing into this really focused aesthetic. And I thought it was really brilliant. Like just be, just taking that like kind of 50s greaser kind of James Dean thing and like sampling a lot of that stuff, like Beach Boys records and like doo-wop records and stuff. I thought that was like super hip, um, particularly for like a white rapper. Let's be honest. Because like, you know, no one's Eminem as far as white rappers are concerned. <laughs> find like a thing, an angle, like is really cool. And so, yeah, I had this, I had this chorus that was just downtown love, don't want to, you know, whatever, that song. And I kept, I, every time I would play the chorus, I'd go to, like, I would resolve and then I would go to this, like, E minor nine chord, like this really dissonant, I thought it sounded like Wu-Tang Clan. And so I was like, okay, maybe, like, this is just a chorus for a rapper. I called him, I sent him a voice memo. The next day we recorded the song in his bedroom and luckily RCA put it out. Wow. That was it. Wow. You know, it was a bedroom record, man. I mean, and that taught me so much about producing records, right? Like, do you need to go to a big studio? That was, I mean, that was one of the, the crazy things too, kind of, you know, I, I wasn't very, you know, I didn't meet you in college and, and I didn't know um, Gerald back then, but I, I was again, like a fly on the wall watching all of this happen. And it was so cool to like, again, just, it, it just seemed like, yeah, you guys were like in each other's dorm rooms, in each other's houses, making these things happen. I think one of his good friends was the videographer who was like, you know, just trying to become a master videographer. Yeah, Tyler Yee. Yeah. Tyler Yee, yeah. Exactly. He like did a bunch of Migos videos and stuff later. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and all of a sudden, like you and, and all these cats, like just like blew up and took the world over. But I, I just always remember that one theme was that like, you guys were always busting your ass, like being proactive and doing stuff. Yeah, it was, and it was a, you know, a lot of different voices, right? Like Christoph Anderson, brilliant producer, songwriter, brilliant. He's super sick. Um, he has a really specific aesthetic and like he has a real voice, you know? And so then like bumping up against that at the time, I didn't really know how to produce records. Like I was just a songwriter, like singer songwriter kid. And so hanging around them taught me a ton about like Pro Tools and blah, blah, blah all that kind of stuff. Cause I was like, wait a second, this is what y'all are doing. I was like, Oh my God, I think I can do. This. And you know, it took me like 20 years to figure it out. Or 15 <laughs> years to figure it out. But like, you know, um, it's, you know, yeah, I think bumping up against people who are super ambitious and super have like just different angles and different voices, whether it's different instruments, different tastes, whatever. I think that that scene stuff is really important, man. You know, yeah, that's man. Why don't we play that? Why don't we play this this G Easy joint for a second and let the people hear what you, what you cool. got? Cook. Just 
yeah, for copyright reasons, I can't play too much of it. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. <laughs> well, I'll clear it if need be. Um, oh, okay. I'll help clear it. I'll, I'll, I can't make a promise on half the record, but, you know, whatever. Oh, that's that's that right. One. Yeah, if we play too much of that, they're going to kick us off. <laughs> <laughs> well, stealing. yeah. Um, and it, then Christoph and Gerald, like, crush the production. It's like, it goes into this kind of, like, flashing lights, like, real four on the floor kick drum thing, and it's really intense. It's, it's a fun song. Honored to be a part. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. I, I like, you know, you keep going back to the work and the, the work must be like the most important part. And I think it's the part that people forget. You know, like everybody wants to be a rapper. Everybody wants to be X, Y, Z, a model, this and that, a lawyer. But it's kind of like, you know, they just want it to be it without the work part. Yeah. You know, what, what, inst- what motivated you to kind of have that type of work ethic because as Greg said, you you got in front of a whole class like, yeah, I'm John Mike, but that's what I'm about to do. Go to my website, buy all my shit. I see, I see Greg. Greg says, hating Jesuit. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I think that's an incredible question, Darian. I don't know where it came from. I mean, my parents, both my parents are super hard workers. Like they, you know, my my mom was like, very much in corporate America. And my dad was like very much like an attorney and that kind of thing. But they always really instilled in me like a deep work ethic. And then Brian as well, man, like I knew I was going back to his house every Saturday. And if I didn't have it together, like, you know, you, you just don't want to look sad, man. I mean, (laughs) and it's shame. I mean, I seriously though, it's like, I constantly, I'm a really compulsive dude. So it comes from this really weird, not to be like totally, um, you know, psychology here, but like, I'm really compulsive. And so like, if I, like, if I hear something that I love, I will spend the next three days doing nothing, but trying to like learn everything I can. Okay. So who produced that record? Okay, great. What other records did he produce? Okay. What, who's the, Oh, who played bass clarinet on this? Dope. Okay. I'm going to go listen to this. I'm going to go figure this out and try to figure out like how to, and it's not just music. Like, um, my wife is a painter and, you know, has grown a lot of really incredible businesses in the art world. Um, and so it's in design, it's in like, it's, you know, anything film, I'm a film nerd. Like, you know, I, it's, I'm just super compulsive. I think like we just have, when I was a kid, we didn't have the internet like this, man. I mean, you can find anything, literally anything. It's like, you know, it's incredible that I can a click away. I'm watching Miles's quintet in Germany from 1965. Like, right. you know, I get to show my daughter James Brown's Tammy show performance. Right. 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 My daughter can see Fela Kuti. Like I didn't know who Fela Kuti was until I was 17, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that's the work ethic thing is just comes from a place of compulsion and just wanting to know more, wanting to get better just because I've seen greatness and like, you know, a guy like G easy, I will tell you this, like, yes, he is a pop star. He is a pop rapper. And I get that a lot of people could have very sort of negative um, feelings towards him because it's pop and it's popular and the masses like him. I will tell you that man works harder than anyone I know. He has an album coming out soon and he did 400, 400 songs for that record. 
Wow. It'll be 12 or 15. He did 400 songs. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Like, so it's, you know, when you, when you're around people like that and you see the bar, when you're, you know, when you get to work with a guy like, you know, one of my mentors was a guy named Dennis Herring, incredible record producer, did Modest Mouse's Good News for People Who Love Bad News, did like some Elvis Costello records, Ben Folds, like Waves, all this kind of stuff. Um, That dude is a workaholic, man. I mean, he, you know, he devours records. Like he, and he just instilled that in me, you know? Yeah. I love that. I'm curious that you mentioned your wife was an artist. Is that how you got into animation? No, no, actually the, the, it was a startup, um, the two music. Do y'all remember the musician, Teresa Anderson? Yeah. She did like the looping thing. So her and her husband, Arthur Mintz, who played drums in a band called world leader pretend back in the day, um, which I played with for like two months. Um, started this animation studio and they were like, Hey, I think you could do this. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done is <laughs> okay, sure. And it was amazing. It was really fun. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm sorry. You know, I was, I was joking about the whole ha- hating Jesuit thing. You know, <laughs> it's, it, what's, what's, what's fascinating really blows my mind about um, just, you know, getting an opportunity to sit down and talk to you is again, uh, you know, y- you come from like, it's almost like you have like these two, polar opposite or what would seem like opposite worlds like you're very deep into the arts world but again like deep into the MBA business like very accountable and and you know I always for me Jesuit was the first experience where I had like the world taught me that the world goes round with or without you and and no one's stopping for anything and so you better turn in your paper (laughs) or you know things like that and so some in my head it, it always a lot of like um while it wasn't maybe the funnest experience of my life, I always respect how, you know, the work ethic that it instilled in me. And so I was just, you know. No, I completely agree, man. And I like, to your point, it was very uncomfortable, you know, like they, it was a college education in high school and it was very uncomfortable and it was very demanding. And I think, you know, I'm, to be honest, I'm uncomfortable when I'm too comfortable, man. If I'm too comfortable, I'm, I like, I get really agitated. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is too safe. Like, I got to, I got to, there's something else to figure out. Well, that's, that's, that's the artist in you trying to get out at all points. <laughs> but then, you know, you go get, you go to Tulane and you like, you know, I went and got my MBA and that was just, you know, a lot of that was because like, you know, I kind of realized like, okay, I'm not going to be like a performing artist. Right. Um, and so I thought like, I wanted to be able to be in rooms and have them not just sort of stamp creative on my forehead, you know? Um, And that was really fun. And an ability, you know, and being around those kind of people, you know, I think business is just as much of an art as art is. It's a kind of weird idea, but I think to figure out like how to brand something, how to sort of you know, I mean, the, the, the idea of valuation, right? Not to bore everybody, but like valuation is both narrative and numbers. I understood the narrative part day one going into the class. The numbers part, not so much. But like, you know, it's, it's really funny how gray everything is. And that excites me, you know? Um, man, so when you, can you kind of t- talk more about the business side of the music and being in those, in those spaces and being labeled the artist, you know, yeah. like how, how is it different if you had to put 
like the creative part, performing, and then all the other stuff, the back of the room stuff. How is it different? So, I mean, the NBA didn't really do anything. Well, it didn't do any, it did a lot with regard to my like analytical thinking. I think like, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to be sometimes in rooms with people who like had really cool startups, um, really kind of entrepreneurial folks, all these kinds of things. And, you know, sometimes when you're, when you want to do something, right? Like you have an idea, right? And there's like idea guys. And immediately when someone has an idea, business people, finance people, those kind of people immediately go risk, scary, ah, you know? And so then if you can kind of, I think part of the MBA for me was to be able to sort of empathize with them and understand how they're thinking. And so that you don't just come in, look, man, I like, I got crazy hair. I'm like wide eyed. I look like a lunatic. Right. But to be able to say like, I understand you, you know, CFO guy, like, I'm not going to kill you. You know, I'm not going to break your bank, whatever. Um, makes it just a little bit more easy, right. To kind of have those conversations. Like, I think it's all just like with music, right? Like if you're in a boardroom, it's just like being on a bandstand. Like everybody's got their own kind of initiative and their own sort of angle and the way that they're thinking about the thing that's being talked about in the middle, it could be the music, it could be a venture, it could be whatever. But if you can kind of, and we do this as musicians, right? Like if you guys are both incredible musicians. If you're behind the kit, Darian, you're listening to the bass player, right? right. Immediately. You're listening to the soloist. And when they do something, you're going to accent them in a certain way. I think business is a lot of that too. It's like being able to flip and go, okay, how would this person think about it? Oh, the operations person's going to kill me if I, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Right. So like it's empathetic design just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Because some, sometimes for me, like, you know, as we run this organization, I'm the executive director and this and that, but I'm like, man, I can tell when artists who work with us understand what we're thinking and how to support us versus other artists who just want to take. It's just like, you just want me to give you an opportunity, but what are you giving back to the organization? It's That's a massive thing too. And I think give, 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 you know, like you'll get when you give. I think that's the biggest thing, man. Like, I think as a society, you know, America needs, you know, we as a people like have to just give, give, give. I mean, like so much of producing a record is checking your ego at the door. And like so much of writing a song for someone is trying to understand them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they don't even understand them. And sometimes the point is to like, give them the perspective that you see them and the way the world sees them. And to your point, like what you guys are doing, I think is absolutely incredible, man. I mean, like, I wish I had something like this. I wish I had these kind of resources when I was a kid, you know, to be able to go to someone and be like, what does the C in the circle mean versus the P in the circle? What is that? Like, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here writing songs. I had to go to Loyola. I had to go to college to learn that you know? And so like, there's so many times when people call me or I'm sure you guys feel the same way where people are like, dude, what do I do about this publishing thing? Or like, what do I do about this? Like, what if someone wants to license this? What does that mean? Like, that's so incredible, man. Just give, man. And like, it comes back, I think. 
Absolutely. Like that idea of uh, you always want to think of a win-win, right? In any situation, you want to win, but you always want to present an opportunity for whoever you're working with to also win. And I feel like when, when you approach any situation with that in mind, you're probably going to get the gig and whoever you're working with is going to love you. Dude, service, man. It's service, service right, man. Yeah. Serve the song, serve the band leader, serve the thing. Like so many times it's like, you know, okay, you know me as a guitar player. Okay, great. I'll, you want me to play a bunch of guitar on your stuff? Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, by the way, I have this song, <laughs> right? Like, and no, I'm not like sticking out a split sheet because I played like five notes on your record. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's probably dumb business-wise for me, but like just to, you know, get in the room, man. Like get in the room, give, serve. Like there's something bigger at work than us humans, right? And like we can create something larger than ourselves if we give, you know? Absolutely. So we were talking about giving and, and I know that you've been spending a lot of time in the last couple of years um, actually trying to bring out the best in the artists that you've been working with. And I, I know you've, been, you know, you've made the transition from a solo act to uh, being a songwriter and, and have been focusing a lot on producing other artists. And uh, I know you, you work in a, in, a, in a production with a team and I was yeah. like, man, so what, what are some things that you guys have going on these days? Yeah. So, um, so Alvin Ford Jr. and I played in a band called Tyson. And then we've kind of sort of been, the two of us have been, you know, producing a lot of records. And um, we've had the honor to work with a, a myriad of really incredible musicians. Um, I think so much of it is, is that like, you know, Darian and I were talking about this before the podcast, but like, you know, as an artist, you kind of grow up, particularly in the sort of pop, R&B, hip hop, rock world the producer has like a very specific role and they're usually like this kind of caretaker kind of thing. Um, and I spent so much time wishing, hoping, praying that the right producer would come through. I worked with a lot of wrong producers, uh, you know, um, and it, Oh, you know what? Huge mistake that actually taught me how to prove how to produce records. I spent $25,000 on the second, my name is John Michael follow-up record and I shelved it. Because the oh, no. conversations we had at the beginning of the record and what ended up coming out at the end didn't work. 25 grand. That <laughs> so was a massive mistake. But what it taught me was, is that to your point about producing, it taught me everything about producing records. Producing records to me is really about one, figuring out who an artist truly, truly is. Hmm. The, the naked, like... That right when you get to that point where it's uncomfortable, that's the magic. And they have to stay there, right? Like David Bowie says, um, you're doing good work if you walk out in the ocean and you can't quite touch the ground, right? Wow. You can't touch the bottom floor. Right there is when you're going to do your best work. And so I think, one, getting people to that space where they feel really um, safe and really able to be wide open, right? Um, that's so much of, it's like pitch black in here, but this is a blue room. It's like calm serenity. It's like purposefully painted Navy blue because of that Two, I think, you know, having a real conversation at the beginning before you start making the record about who are you trying to talk to? You know, like, who are we trying? Like, is there a 
particular type of person we're trying to reach, right? Like princes, I, I'm sorry, I'm like filled with quotes. I just, my life is just nothing but quotes. But um, Prince's engineer, this woman, I forget her name. She teaches at Berkeley, but she says there's three audiences. There's your peers, there's the industry, and, your, and there's people. Or no, excuse me, your peers, critics, and people. Hmm. And if you're trying to make a people record, oftentimes the critics won't like it. And if you're trying to make a record for your peers, people don't necessarily like it, right? And so sometimes you got to have that conversation and say like, look, in a perfect world, we're going to hit all three, right? Prince hits all three. Stevie Wonder hits all three. But like, let's focus the work. If we're trying to talk to our peers, great. Like there's a way to make that kind of record. If it's critics, great. There's a way to make that kind of record. And then, you know, really kind of dealing with people's sort of anxieties and figuring out what their true voice is and having them speak in the way that they speak. You know, I think that it's shortening the distance between the artists and the speakers. And I think that's a really hard thing. I think most people, whether it's a musician, whether it's a whatever, I think they try to insert themselves into the thing and it actually creates space between the artists and the speakers. The goal should always be get the artists as close to the speakers as possible. It's kind of conceptual, but hopefully that makes sense. No, that's beautiful, man. And if you're listening to this right now, he just gave y'all y'all whole purpose for life right there, man. That's this. <laughs> this is bigger than music, man. That's amazing, man. You, man. Wow, unbelievable, man. Listen, John, man, we we're getting close to the end. Okay. And I do want to give people an opportunity to kind of connect with you on the social medias and for buy, sure. all your, buy all your records and t-shirts and. Oh. and well, I'm not selling stuff anymore, but hopefully, <laughs> if there are great artists out there that have a great voice. And uh, I mean, voice, artistic voice. You don't have to have a great voice. Bob Dylan's one of my favorite singers and he has a shitty voice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I, I'm on Instagram mostly, I think. You know, it, it's at that John Michael, like T-H-A-T, John Michael. Like, oh, you're that John Michael. Like, um, so um, yeah, hit me up there. And, you know, you can just spam me with questions or whatever, um, whatever, you know. How, do, how does one work with you? Is that an easy hit me up? I mean, I don't know, you know, send me stuff. I don't know. Um, It comes a myriad of different ways, man. I don't know. I hear about something like I just heard about, um, I was just up in Nashville last week. I heard about a new Orleans singer that I'd never heard about before. And I just found someone that knew her and hit her up and said, Hey, can we, and we're having coffee tomorrow. So it it was just random. I mean, People send me stuff. I don't know, you know, and it's just friends like hangs, like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh man, you should check out what so-and-so is doing. Like, it's cool, you know? And the other thing too is, is like, I don't, we don't like with Alvin and I, like, and I can only speak to myself because he's not here, but we kind of have a philosophy of like, we can't work with everything. Like we can't bring value to everything. Like there's certain records that it's like, we can help shepherd it but like what we do is very specific it's like very like song craft like very you know make the like it's a record record like a very modern record like if there's a you know for certain like there's certain producers that i adore like tio macero right did all the mile stuff like tio i i wouldn't know how to make those kind of records right i, right. I wouldn't know you know so 
Hey, Beautiful. John Michael, before before we call it a night, so out of all the, the things you've done to this point in your career, I was wondering, if is there a particular song or, or project that you've done that you're most proud of that maybe people should check out as a first jumping into the, the John Michael rabbit hole? I don't know. I mean, the stuff that's out, I'm really proud of that g Easy song. I think it's really good. Um, he had a song um, on his last album called Every Night of the Year that was actually one of the 52 songs, um, which was really cool. Um, Galactic did a, did a song of mine called um, Does It Really Make a Difference? And Mavis Staples sang it, which I mean, I, you know, that day when I heard those vocals, I was like, okay, I can quit. This is great. You know, like... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really excited about the stuff that's about to come out. Like, I, I, I think Jameson Ross's upcoming record is going to be incredibly special. Um, we really focused on songwriting in a really heavy way and really talking about him. And it's like, it's funky as all get out. It's super soulful. It's like much more of a soul R&B record than like a jazz record. Um, and the songs are incredible. His vocal performances are insane. Um, I'm super proud of this Jelly EP that we did, you know, Angelica Jelly Joseph, who, if you've heard the song, Get You Some, and you're in New Orleans, she's on that, <laughs> and she's currently touring with Galactic, and um, she's sort of the Flav Flav to Tank and Tank and the Bangers, um, Tank's Chuck D kind of thing, you know? Um, her EP is wonderful. Um, I don't know a lot. I, it's kind of the Duke Ellington thing, man. The stuff that's going to come out soon. The next, the next one's my favorite. Um, but I know that's a bad way to answer that question. Yes, well, it'll keep, it'll keep us all in eager anticipation of the next thing. Yeah, hopefully. Love it. Yo, John, man, thank you so much for coming on the Working Artist Project, man. Man, thank you guys. This is a real honor. I love what you guys are doing. I think please keep doing it. If there's anything I can do to help at, at all in any way, shape or form, um, this is, Truly an honor and truly fun. So thank you. Thank you. John Michael, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Peace, guys. Yeah, bro. My name is Darian Douglas. And my name is Greg Riaji. Y'all have a great night.